0: It's time for Cadillac On Call on News Radio 610-KONA. It's your chance to learn valuable health information right here in our community. Now, the host of Cadillac On Call, here's Jim Hall. Good day, friends. Welcome to Cadillac On Call, presented by the Cadillac Foundation. We begin our program with cautious optimism with regard to the current level of COVID in our community. The incidence of the deadly virus continues to move in the right direction statistically both in the reduced number of actual cases and the number of people who are sick enough to be hospitalized the past several weeks though have certainly been an incredible challenge to the frontline healthcare teams who have so courageously been healing and comforting the number of covid patients who have filled our area hospitals which has placed tremendous stress on the system and in some cases putting it in a very critical state Well, today, again, the latest on COVID in our region with Heather Hill of the Benton Franklin Health District. And Heather, I've been doing some counting, and today marks the 80th, 80 consecutive week that COVID has been the central focus of this program each week. And I'm grateful that you've been one of our key subject matter experts for nearly all 80 of those programs. So everybody knows what Heather's doing Wednesday nights at around 6. But uh, seriously, though, where are we uh, as we reach mid-October of 2021?
1: Well, Jim, you're right. We, we can be, again, we've used the word cautiously optimistic and we've been cautiously optimistic in the past. And here we are once again, where Benton County statistics are showing us at a slight decrease at 656 per 100,000 over the last 14 days. Last week we were at 737. And then Franklin County is at 768. For the last 14 days and last week we're at 935. So that tells us we are seeing a decrease but again decreasing from very high to a little less high is still concerning. Those, uh, those numbers are still extremely high and there are evidence that this virus is still circulating quite badly through our community and risk remains very very high.
0: So the risk remains high and I know you have shared demographically that these younger age groups have been the most predominant uh, area of concern that's still the case?
1: Right when we look at who is testing positive uh, we look at all the different especially the age demographics where where is the bulk of it and even though we are, are seeing some downward trends in the age groups that we look at or, you know, a slight plateauing, the highest rates are still in our, you know, 20 to 39 year olds, but we're really also very concerned about even the younger school age on up to 39 year olds because uh, that's where we're seeing probably the greatest amount of spread within our community is in, in that younger, Population rather than the elderly where it hit so hard early on, we're seeing the bulk of our, our trending cases in that 20- to 39-year-old group. And then when we look at where testing is landing us at both the CBC West and then the Richland Walk-Up, we're starting to see a slight decrease in the number of people accessing tests but again, it's it's still very, very high. CBC West in the last 14 days did over 8,000 tests. And one of the indicators that tells us the health of our community is what's the positivity rate at, at those sites. And the CBC West site is still at a 15% positivity rate for sampling, which again is down. So we can certainly say we're heading the right direction, but we're still so very, very high that it's going to take a lot more to get us into the safety zone. It's, um, I heard one person describe today it's like um, climbing up Badger Mountain and, and you get to the top, but it takes a long time even to get to the bottom, and you're not done until you're back to the parking lot. And when it comes to COVID, we're not in the parking lot yet.
0: <laughs> and, and and for that testing statistic and I know we we really try and focus on science and data on this program and as do you all, all throughout the the time with this you were into the, the the data showed I I think the test positivity was in the the mid 20s or low to mid 20s as recently as a few weeks ago and and I recall back in a year ago when some of these metrics were being utilized for you know return to school and opening up of restaurants and the like, I think the, the desire was to be under 10% positivity. Is that right?
1: Right. And actually, in all of our data points right now, if those metrics were in place today, we would be back to shutdown, just like we were. And here we are um, facing some very, very high rates, and we need to be very conscientious of that, especially going into the holidays. We have Halloween, and Thanksgiving, then Christmas. We're still at very high rates in the community, so that if we want to keep trending down, then we have to continue to do the hard work of wearing the masks, um, being very careful who we're surrounding ourselves with, keep the group small, uh, social distance, all those things that we've been talking about, and by all means, get vaccinated.
0: And I know the one data point that is probably most concerning to, to everyone is the number of people who have died due to COVID. And and I know those numbers lag quite a bit, the, the actual cases of COVID that are reported. So those numbers are still very high, and it sounds like they may continue to be for a little bit.
1: Right. It takes a while for death data to actually make it to us so that we know that it is very accurate data because we don't want to report out misinformation. But I think what does have us concerned in in the death count is uh, here we are barely into mid-October and we are very, very close to surpassing the total number of deaths in all of 2020. And we're very, very close to reaching a 500 deaths in our our bi-county region since the start of this pandemic. And so that is a sobering milestone. I, I think about those 500 deaths, and if we had gotten vaccine quicker, sooner, more people vaccinated, would those 500 people not have died? And, and that's what I think about as a nurse who is really focused on, let's prevent um, disease and illness and injury.
0: So what you're saying is in 2021, more people have, or nearly as many people have died so far this year than all of last year.
1: Right, that's correct, Jim. And you know, with,
0: I, and is it the, also, is it the delta primarily what's doing this? Obviously, you know the, probably a lot of that number has been in the last what? 8 weeks or so, 12 weeks? Right.
1: This is this is what exactly what I was going to say, Jim, is, is the delta was really the game changer for us. And we knew that there were going to be variants, but we never really knew exactly what all these new variants were going to do and And when Delta hit and it increased so rapidly in our community and became so highly contagious, unfortunately, you know, that drove our case rate and our death rates up, you know, for sure.
0: So as we before, I want to spend our next segment with you talking about vaccinations. But before we do, what the the case incidence of COVID, I know uh, you've touched on in past programs uh, the areas where you're seeing Outbreaks, And I know there have been concerns about, you know, gatherings of events. But what about from the business community and some of those essential worker areas that that, are you still seeing outbreaks? And and in what areas are you?
1: You know, most of our outbreaks that we're certainly watching right now are still somewhat related to, um, you know, especially recently, September-ish is in our... Agriculture in our egg housing community. We've seen outbreaks certainly in government agencies. Our school outbreaks again are still not classroom related, but more extracurricular or in the office environment. But it's our long-term care facilities and that type of setting that has a still concern that we're seeing significantly high rates in that that population.
0: Visiting with Heather Hill with the Benton Franklin Health District, we have one more segment to spend with her, and we'll focus on where we are with vaccinations, and we'll do that right after this. A reminder that if you missed any part of our program, Catholic on Call is available on your favorite podcast platform, Spotify, Google Play, anywhere you get your favorite podcasts, just write in Catholic on Call, and you can listen anytime you'd like. Continuing our conversation with Heather Hill of the Benton Franklin Health District. And Heather, let's focus on vaccinations and just looking up the latest data from the state of Washington today. The numbers of the percent of the total population, Washington State sits at 59% of the total population is fully vaccinated. In Benton County, it's 47%. Franklin County sits at 42%, while Walla Walla County is at 52%. So where are we? Is that, uh, are we starting, just like the last few weeks, continuing to see uh, slow upward progress? Yeah, it's, it's
1: slow. It's slow in fact, very, very slow, but at least it is upward progress. So Benton County has increased by about one percent and Franklin by just over one percent. So we would wish that it would be a much quicker um, uptick in, in vaccine acceptance because we know how important it is to get vaccinated to stop the spread. So we're continuing our efforts. Uh, and a lot of our efforts are focused on getting this vaccine into the primary provider office. We're having communication with our pediatricians about getting the vaccine into the offices at the time that even the younger children will be approved to to be vaccinated. So we're still quite concerned about the low vaccination rates in our community and are, are continuing to work very hard to try to get that improved.
0: And I know the the children vaccine approvals coming from the FDA uh, are probably, I think last week you were sharing, perhaps by the end of this month. And so once that approval gets happening, as you touched on, then it's up uh, to the supply chain to be able to provide resources and opportunities for children to get vaccinated.
1: Right. There's multiple steps that actually go into the approval process. It's not just the FDA approving it but there's the ACIP, the CDC. So there are many scientific bodies that look at the evidence, they look at the risk, they look at the benefit, and then they're the ones who make that recommendation to go ahead. And once it does become approved for that younger population, it will be approved in an emergency use authorization again, and it will stay in that category up until it's being used a certain number of months, and then it can be up for, um, you know, final approval by the FDA. So, again, it's a very rigorous process of determining vaccine safety and efficacy um, that they still have to go through to, to make it available.
0: I don't want to really touch on the mandate that is required in the state of Washington that Monday is that deadline. Uh, because obviously we know the political ramifications of all of that. But if you would focus on, from your view as a public health nurse, if somebody is sitting there listening tonight, still hasn't gotten their exemption, still on the fence, why should they be getting that vaccine and is it safe?
1: It's important to look at history of vaccine and vaccine mandates way back when. Vaccines are one of the most important public health, prevention methods that have ever been invented. And we know how vaccines have prevented many of the illnesses that decimated populations years and years ago. I'm old enough in the nursing profession to remember many of these vaccine-preventable diseases that we would see quite common and quite often, and we would see the, the effects and the deaths because we did not have vaccines to protect. Well, here we are with covid And we know we have a vaccine that is very good, very safe. It is very good at preventing severe illness and death. And it's just so important to understand that the science behind this vaccine has been looked at so carefully. It's not brand-new science. It's been studied for several decades before this vaccine actually made it to market. So from, you know, a public health perspective, this is the wave of the future. mRNA vaccines are a game changer. We know how hard it is to develop vaccines, bring it to market. And now we have, thank goodness for the science behind us, we have the science to bring vaccines and other medications to the market much quicker, easier than we were years ago.
0: And I was going to say relative to vaccines, I know the one word that now is popping up quite a bit is the word breakthrough cases, those with where people who are fully vaccinated get uh, COVID-19. And again, I think you've told me before, there there was never going to be any 100% uh, foolproof way to avoid getting the, the virus. But uh, again, those breakthrough cases were going to happen.
1: Right. We expected it. We weren't quite sure exactly how many breakthrough cases. And honestly, it started out very, very few breakthrough cases. And then the Delta variant came along, and that's where we started to see an increase in our breakthrough cases. But we are very confident in the fact that, yes, you can get vaccinated, you can get a breakthrough case, but what we're hearing and what we're seeing is those breakthrough cases are typically significantly less severe than in the person who was not vaccinated and caught COVID. Some of my physician friends talk about are patients who caught COVID and didn't have the vaccine and how they fared four, six, eight months later versus their patients who were vaccinated and caught COVID, they have a much, much quicker recovery time.
0: And I was going to say, that's, I know that was the case with hospitalizations of COVID patients. So Again, a lot of the people that were were passing and that we in hospitals were unvaccinated. And, and I guess maybe let's shift to the other piece, and that's people who have had COVID maybe a year or a year and a half ago and have been vaccinated, but they're still suffering symptoms. So, again, this thing isn't, you know, you may get on the backside of having the virus, but that doesn't mean you're over its side effects.
1: Right, and I think there's a lot to be learned over the next, you know, many years, unfortunately, exactly what does COVID virus do inside the human body. We know that viruses of all kinds can do significant damage to various body organs, the heart, you know, your circulatory system, your brain. Well, we have pretty good evidence that COVID is pretty ruthless inside the body, but exactly how long, these effects are going to be ongoing inside your body. I think it's gonna take a few years to see, but what we're seeing right now is months and months and months later, people are still suffering from the effects of having COVID and some of them, they're just not getting over it very quickly. That brain fog hangs on, the cardiac irritability, instability seems to continue and, and the pulmonary problems needing to be on supplemental oxygen much, much longer than a person who was vaccinated and caught COVID.
0: We have just a minute or two left. And before we let you go, I know heading into the winter season, and it'd be eerie to play back a program from, say, a year ago at this time, I'd be willing to bet that the same talking points that you were really advocating would hold today, that we're going into the winter season when people are more indoors. So all the more reason to... to adhere to all of these mitigation measures that we know all too well.
1: Right. We know that when people gather in enclosed spaces and don't use all those mitigation strategies that we keep talking about, we start to see increased case rate. And then heading into not only concerns with COVID, but we're heading into flu season. And right now, we're really advising, once again, that people get flu shots Because we're concerned, certainly, that if we started to see a sudden increase in flu cases on top of COVID, that would be a very dangerous combination for people to get together.
0: Maybe a one-minute lightning round of a couple of quick questions. Uh, If someone has had COVID, should they get vaccinated?
1: Yes, it is highly recommended that even if you've had COVID to go ahead and get vaccinated because the immunity from actually having COVID disease is not necessarily as protective as if you get a vaccine as well. So yes, get vaccinated.
0: Relative to masks, if you've had COVID or if you've been fully vaccinated, should you continue to wear masks?
1: You should continue to wear a mask, especially in those indoor environments. Because again, with covid uh, variant the the delta variant, we realize how highly contagious it is, and we certainly see the delta variant in vaccinated people so once again, to protect the whole population, we all vaccinated or not need to continue to wear those masks, especially in those indoor environments
0: and finally, in about twenty seconds for parents listening who's maybe have a child that's experienced some, some symptoms of some sort, what should they do?
1: If you think your child has symptoms, get them tested, but more important, keep them home from school, from play dates, from child care. Kids can pass this very quickly, very easily in those environments. So keep your kids home.
0: Heather Hill with the Benton Franklin Health District. Thanks so much for your time. Back with the second half of Cadillac On Call in just a moment.
2: We
0: are going to pivot away from COVID for the second half of our program. The subject is still, though, very difficult. One we want to share with you about a valuable community resource that's available for families who face the incredible tragedy of infant loss. The month of October is focused on pregnancy and infant loss remembrance, when the focus is on families to honor their babies who are gone too soon. On Friday, October 15th, a ceremony will be held at Sunset Memorial Garden Cemetery in Richland, from 4 to 6 p.m., families will be able to gather and remember their babies who were lost too soon and with us tonight is Aggie Moria, a nurse by training, who leads a monthly chaplaincy healthcare support group for people who have experienced infant loss and who has a number of years of experience working with families who suffer this tragedy on what should be one of the happiest days of their lives and Aggie, thanks so much for joining us. I know we have uh, had you on before during this time of the year and no matter when this tragedy strikes at this time of the year as we remember it uh, certainly it gets very vivid in the minds of people who deal with it right
3: yes that's right jim and thank you for having me again
0: tell me a little bit about the reasons for this event on friday and and maybe just a little bit about what uh uh what how how prevalent this is in 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 our world
3: yeah uh, Jim, surprisingly, one in four families experience pregnancy loss. And uh, losing baby, losing a baby is such a hardship. Having people acknowledge your love and your loss is a step in the right direction. And um, that is why we have this Pregnancy Loss Support Program, of which the support group is the main uh, component. And you said monthly we've actually... Um, Thanks to the pandemic now, we are meeting twice a month, um, once in person and once virtually. So there is a twice a month support group now, um, but we do events and workshops and individual follow-up. And this event that um, happens during the month of October is just special to bring families together and give families an opportunity to honour their baby. And um, we speak the names of the baby, and we have an eco-friendly balloon release, and um, a little bit of healing can happen in an event like that.
0: And obviously, the sooner these things happen, uh, the more real and raw, but obviously, too, incidents like this linger for for years, forever, right, for these families. So it's not only people that you see or that you deal with probably in your support group. You know, they may have experienced this loss, you know, in the last month or two, but also in the last 10, 20 years or more.
3: No, that's right, Jim. Uh, it may have been days or months, but it may have been years ago. Um, in fact, I remember we did one of these events and a mom a grandma, rather, was 75 and came with her family to remember the twins that she lost 50 years ago. And she, with tears in her eyes, told me, you know, there wasn't something like this in my days. And she was just really pleased to be able to remember them and honor them. And so, yeah, this this loss is is trauma and it stays with people and um, an event like this or a support group is so important for people to the the healing and their mental health that there's many studies that prove how important this is.
0: And I was going to say as well, uh, probably just like in a lot of things, maybe in the mental health arena. It used to be mm-hmm. regardless, uh, you know, you're kind of don't want to show your emotion. And maybe we were all as we grew up, uh, we were taught by our parents for no wrong or wrong reason. But, you know, it's, it's not necessarily the right thing to do by showing your emotion. But I, I'm guessing this proves otherwise. And as you touched on, I'm, I'm, I'm guessing there's research that indicates that it's very healthy to acknowledge this
3: very healthy to acknowledge this and we've learned that telling the story is so important and it's hard for these families to do that because the whole topic of pregnancy loss is often hushed in the community it's much harder to talk about that than to talk about when grandpa died because there's memories and pictures and and grandpa is supposed to die After you, because because or before you, excuse me, because that's the right order. But when you lose a baby, that is out of order, and that is a whole different kind of loss. And it's if we provide them with opportunities in in a group or in an event like this, yeah, the the research shows that is important. That is uh, that can that can definitely help the healing.
0: And do you find, I guess, maybe take a second if you would, and not to get too medical on this, but, it, you know, it could be miscarriage, it could be babies uh, that are stillborn, but a whole variety of, of babies. And you encourage people to participate in your support group in this event as well, uh, no, as you mentioned, no matter when they may have experienced loss, but no matter what circumstance.
3: Yes, and and that's right. Um, miscarriage, for instance, is often minimized. Um, and they lose a baby at at eight weeks and it, they will say, well, it's just a miscarriage and it can be just as traumatic. What we have learned, Jim, in the support group is there's no hierarchy. Um, our mantra, and forgive me for saying this, but it all sucks. And that came from a mom who experienced it. And um, whether your loss is early or later on in the pregnancy or or in an infancy, and these moms face each other and have such compassion for each other um, mm-hmm. because they know, they know the devastation, no matter what stage of pregnancy.
0: We have just a couple of minutes with you, and, and in our final segment, we're going to visit with a mom who's been directly impacted. But from your role as a nurse, and I know you've been working with these folks for a long time, Aggie, why do you do it? I'm sure it can't be easy on you and other and other nurses who do the same kind of thing
3: yeah it it is hard, and when people hear that we do labor and delivery, what they picture is the happy side of it. Oh, you work with the babies and and there is this side, and it happens like we said earlier more than we think and and yes, it is hard, and yes we they we shed tears as well um so But it is so needed. Our program is actually the only one in the region. Um, We have moms. I I got a text the other day from a mom from Yakima who is coming, who has been before. It becomes a, a ritual and part of a celebration almost for that baby. And to it, and come to an event like that and be together with other families.
0: And relative to, this, to the support group, I'm guessing you have people that come more regularly, and then maybe some people just come once.
3: Yes, and it's the group is set up as a drop-in group. There's no you, there's uh, there's no cost, and also no pre-registration required. So they can come just as they are able. And um, and that is totally fine because life of a young mother is unpredictable, and she might come twice, and then not need it, and then after a couple of years she might come back because she is pregnant again, and we refer to that as a rainbow pregnancy, and that is often very stressful to have pregnancy after a loss and and she feels the need for support and so comes back to the support group. That's just one example.
0: Well, we have one more minute with you, but maybe quickly, if you would, just summarize uh, the time on Friday and uh, what will be happening on Friday afternoon.
3: Yeah, the event is open to the public. and No pre-registration required. Just come. It's at events at sunset from 4 to 6. Between 4 and 4.30, you'll get your Gifts, your keepsakes, we register you, and we um, have eco-friendly balloons that you can write a message to your baby with a Sharpie that is provided. And then there's a program where a mom will tell her story. This year, we also have a mom that wrote a song in tribute to her little boy that she lost, and she is coming to sing that for us. And then we'll move into the actual balloon release where we speak the names of the baby and a chime will sound after each name and the families can release the balloon at that time for their baby or babies. Um, and yeah, it it, uh, it promises to be a beautiful event and it's all outside.
0: Aggie Mori with the Remembrance event happening this Friday out at the Events at Sunset Center which is within the... Con, the campus of the sunset memorial garden cemetery off the bypass highway in richland we have to take our final break of the evening when we come back we will visit with a mom who's been impacted by infant loss and why she's so willing to share her story with us and we'll do that right after this
2: you're listening to cad on call on 610 kona this program is not a substitute for direct consultation with your own health care provider Always consult your health care provider for your specific condition, especially if you have or suspect you may have a medical problem. Now back to Cadillac on Call. Here again, Jim Hall.
0: Welcome back to Cadillac on Call, presented by the Cadillac Foundation. And joining us now is a mom who knows firsthand the heartache of infant loss, but also the joy of motherhood. Ana Perez is a member of the Infant Loss Support Group that Aggie just described, and will be speaking at Friday's event at Sunset Events Center. In Richland at the Sunset Memorial Garden Cemetery, Anna. If you first, if you would uh, share a little bit about why you feel it's important uh, to speak about this topic—that's so, I'm sure, delicate for you.
4: Absolutely, I think it's a taboo, um, not just in our community, but I think as a society, it's so important to talk about infant loss, pregnancy loss because it creates just so much awareness for others, and it allows others to not feel alone in this long and hard journey.
0: What would you like uh, people to know about your experience? Uh, Baby Belen, right? Is that how I pronounce it?
4: Yeah, Belen. Belen was born August 29, 2019, and she was diagnosed pretty early on with trisomy 18, and unfortunately only lived for... Four hours, um, four beautiful hours that I was given. It's been; she would have been two this year, so it's been two years since her birth and her death, and it feels like it just happened yesterday.
0: And and I was going to say, in visiting with Aggie in the prior segment, uh, we touched on the fact that, as you touched on. It could be two years, it could be two weeks ago that it happened, it could be two decades ago but it never goes away, right?
4: Mm -mm. It feels so raw, so recent still and um, after her loss um, I went into therapy services and then lightning struck twice and last year I had a miscarriage and grief was triggered all over again in different ways but it's pregnancy loss now right i didn't just lose a baby i also lost a pregnancy as well
0: i'm sorry to hear that too and um why are why do you feel it's so important and 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 maybe a message for a mom that happens to be maybe driving home uh from Mm -hmm. soccer practice with other kids or or just somebody (laughs) that's listening at home what would your message to them be maybe if they're experiencing the same trauma that you did
4: this is It is trauma. I love that you use that word because it's lifelong. It's never-ending. We will carry that pain for the remainder of our lives. And if, you know, a support group or an event as such can do, you know, a little bit of healing or a little bit of grief work, as Aggie likes to call it, why not put ourselves in, in a place that can bring us that, that kind of healing? It's not going to bring our babies back. And that's something that we have to live with every day of our lives. But also, this happens so much more than we know, and it is a community of amazing women and amazing dads that have survived the the unsurvivable.
0: Share me. Fast forward to I think eleven weeks ago. Uh, I understand.
4: Mm-hmm. <laughs> um. <laughs> Uh, 11 weeks ago, I became a mother um, of a rainbow baby, um, and it's it's still challenging, uh, right? I carry both my angel babies in my heart, and I carry one in my arms. And days are hard, and also days are beautiful, and I will forever carry all of my three babies with me for the rest of my life.
0: And what is the name of uh, the one that you're carrying in your arms?
4: His name is Adriel, and he is just a joy and such a happy baby, and he brings me so much happiness, and I cannot wait to talk to him and share with him Belen's story, as well as the miscarriage.
0: We have just a minute or so left, and I know you're going to be speaking Friday at the event, but, uh, you know, as... as is he uh you know the the living symbol of 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 the the trauma and and just the tragedy that you've had to deal but again you know we know birth is and, and is is not perfect and i guess that's what maybe makes motherhood all the more special
4: absolutely he he's been and he, he's never going to, you know, take Belen's place or the other angel baby's place, but he definitely fills me up with so much joy. And yeah, motherhood is so complex. And then you add a mom who has lost a baby and a, or a dad who has lost a baby or a pregnancy. And then you wrap actually having to parent a child. It's just so complex, but it is also just beautiful.
0: So you can laugh and cry all at once.
4: <laughs> Absolutely.
0: <laughs> why is it, just a, a quick comment before we let you go, but why is it important for you to, to come on our program today and to speak uh, to folks on Friday?
4: We're not alone in this journey. And if it helps, you know, someone else hear someone's story and or make a connection of some sort, um, even that can be just so... So helpful in this hardship.
0: Well, thank you for being so uh, generous with your time and so willing to share your story. Ana Perez. And again, the event is happening. It's a remembrance event for pregnancy and infant loss. This Friday, October 15th from 4 to 6, happening at the events at Sunset, which is within the campus of Sunset Memorial Garden Cemetery on the Bypass Highway in Richland. It's a beautiful event. It's a meaningful event. And feel free to drop by if you're so moved by listening to this program today. Again, thanks to Anna and thanks to Aggie for sharing this important information with us. And thank you for listening. We'll talk again next week. Yeah.